it takes something that small to get you to an eight today. By Monday, it's done. So sometimes we think it's going to be a big deal, like I need you to change my world. It's not. But sometimes it's small things that are going to change their world at work in a big way. People have got that confidence, but not necessarily the competence. And sometimes that carries them through. It carries them to a certain point. So being with them, leading from the front, being passionate, and that's why I've been successful. Welcome to another episode of Everyday Leadership. And today I have the absolute pleasure of having a conversation with the L and L <laughs> from LVL London. I've got Louise Powell in the house. I've got Laurie Powell in the house. Unfortunately, my sister Victoria couldn't make it. But these are powerful women who are making amazing strides, who have 20 plus years experience working in the luxury fashion industry for amazing clients. I mean, you got Valentino in there, you got Harrods in there, you got Stella Hart in there, you got like so many different amazing brands um, like Tiffany's in there and they've worked all across, not just in the UK, but across Europe as well. And now they're doing their own thing. So I am interested, intrigued, excited to have a conversation with Laurie and Louise. How are you both doing? Really, thanks. And a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having us. So good to be here. Childhood, what was it like growing up in your house, like teenagers? I'm curious. So we were very different characters. Laurie, as you actually haven't changed too much. Laurie was a humble, quiet, well-behaved, did well at school. <laughs> I was a little bit more rebellious. <laughs> and <laughs> Sorry, I don't know if you want to add or tell me off about anything else. <laughs> no, I think I was rebellious, but I just didn't necessarily get caught. I think I was. Ooh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and Victoria was like somewhere in between. I hope mum and dad never will be. Also, did you always have the desire and the dream to work together from a young age? Did you know that was always going to be possible? Or was this something that came out way down the line as you grew up? It actually came out way down the line. We were all together in a cool bar in Brixton years ago. We were saying maybe we should do something because we've done quite well in our careers. And we were just sketching a logo. We've got that logo sketch. We wanted to come together and we talk about what we can offer as a three because we have such different qualities, different skill sets. So we've done, all done retail, luxury retail, and all moved to London and been quite successful. So we thought, this is the time, maybe it's something we can do all together and have our own business. And our passion was really to motivate and inspire other people coming up. And people kept saying to us, oh, that's black women in luxury retail. And we thought, well, maybe others can be shown it's possible. And that's where it started. And we're actually like three of five. So there are two brothers as well, like dotted in and amongst the age mm -hmm. gaps. And we're all completely different, but somehow the sisters seem to love, it's probably a bit more stereotypically, fashion, luxury, clothes, bags makeup, all those classic things that young girls love. But it just seemed that our personalities really meshed into a world that worked within that industry as well. So the brothers tended to take a different career route. We're all super different. 
we all complement ourselves in different ways, but the sisters seem to mesh together through our love of these things. Mm. Expensive things as well. Exactly. I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just saying. You know? <laughs> yeah, you're right, unfortunately. <laughs> Where were you previously? You say you, you moved to London. Yeah, so we're all from Derby. And Derby is a very small town in the Midlands. In fact, because of that passion for retail and fashion, we actually had to go to Nottingham if we wanted to shop or see any designer brands. So we'd have to get on a 30-minute coach all the way to Nottingham. And it was House of Fraser. And there was brands like the 60 French Connection <laughs> that got us to start falling in love with retail or fashion or clothes. And I had my first job there as a Christmas temp. I remember the store director came out at the time and she said, out of the 20 people that we've hired as a Christmas temp, only two people are going to get the job. And I was like, that has got to be me. (laughs) (laughs) And at the time I was working in a factory before that, we thought, this is my chance. This is my way into sales and fashion. Nottingham has a very special place in my heart. Then Victoria, I think, followed Louise into Nottingham to work in in fashion. But I actually went to uni and studied in Sheffield. So I managed to bag a Saturday job, running up and down two flights of stairs, memorizing nine-digit codes for the trainers, the vans, the Converse, uh, all these like cool hip high street trainers and another footwear to customers. And I loved it so much. It wasn't high-end, but the customer service that they trained us to give was insane. Every client, every customer had a special story. Every customer deserved the best service. And I loved that ethos. So I loved running to work on a Saturday. And uh, the two guys that I got hired with, they were actually quicker at memorizing the codes and they like knew all the footwear in and out because they were wearing them. But I remember that they didn't last as long as me because I was most committed to the customer service part, chatting to customers, selling more pairs. Because when you hear people's story, you can then, you know, sell more to them. And I wasn't even working on commission. I just loved hearing people's stories. And it was just something that really got embedded into me from uni. So yeah, whilst Louise and Victoria were off in Derby and Nottingham, I went to Sheffield and we all came back and then ended up in London. And it really doesn't actually feel like work. You know, it felt like we were shopping with friends. That's when you know you've got the retail bug because it doesn't feel like work. Somebody comes in and says, I want you to help me with a wardrobe or I want you to style and make a samba. My gosh, I would do that for soon. <laughs> but what really was about giving excellent customer service and make sh- making sure that the client left happy. Did you find it challenging when you did move down to London? Because you made the point earlier on, there are not a lot of black females in your industries. So was there quite a challenge to break into some of the spaces that you worked in, like the Harrods or the Valentinas for your Louise, or even like the, um, the Tiffany's that you've worked with, Laurie? The first thing that surprised me about London, and I shouldn't have been too surprised by it, but was how multicultural it was. Coming from Derby, when in our school, we were the only black people. Going to London, and I was looking after a fashion area within Harrods called 
weigh in at the time. Now it's called fashion bag. But doing my morning brief, I'm thinking, wow, there are so many different places here. And, you know, and it was quite exciting to be part of all these different cultures and learning all about these different cultures. But then as I progressed, you saw that they became less and less of those places. You know, as I became, I was the um, business manager for Women's International on first floor. And then I became GSM, general sales manager. That was the progression throughout Harrods. And I saw that there, there wasn't many places that were at the top. But yeah, that was the time when I realized I might need to adapt to my style a little bit. They're not used to seeing this. <laughs> and I feel like you paved the way for me to get into that luxury industry, Louise, because I had moved from Derby to London with that same high street retail brand. I wanted to do luxury because that was the overall passion. But sometimes you can find that people can give you a route in, as Louise did for me, because I went to join her to work in Harrods. But then you still got to make your own name for yourself when you get there. So somebody can open the door for you, but you still got to do the work. You still got to work hard. You got to build your own brand. You got to build your own network. You've got to graft. And that's what happened for me. I, I saw that there weren't so many women of color, people of color in senior positions. But I had that vision that I could make it there. Mm -hmm starting off with seeing somebody in that role, but then doing the work to be able to sustain it as well. Mm -hmm. I want to be known as the best. I want to be the top on this league table. I want to have the best results that are possible. But really was it about, I want to be the first black woman to be a director. It wasn't that. It was just want to be known for having consistent, exceptional results. And that was it. So the race part didn't really play too much of that. A role it was more about and just want to be known for being great at what you do. That should be everybody's ambition. Both Lewis and Laurie had mentioned how they had this insatiable drive, and I wondered if there were times that Laurie actually held back in how she approached things, or if that confidence and ambition was always there at the forefront of her approach? I think confidence increases. And actually, I don't always like the word confidence because sometimes I think it's about courage. You know, everybody has varying levels of confidence at different points in their life, different points in their career, in different circumstances. But having the courage to go for what you want is what was something that we had. But also the humility to know that you will still have to work very hard uh, wherever you are. So having competence, courage, and credibility are really important to us in LVL. And those are the, probably the three things that we strive for and are most passionate about when it comes to delivering for the clients. Because, yeah, there, there may be, we have reputations in our world and our world of work and our fields, but we still want to make sure that we've got the confidence to be able to deliver. So you have to still stay humble. And that we know lots of people that we've worked in in our careers. Louise has got a great story about one in hers where people have got that confidence but not necessarily the competence. And sometimes that carries them through. It carries them to a certain point. It might not get them all the way, but at least it gets them some of the way. But we want to have a, a good balance of them. Absolutely. So managing a particular individual previously, and that person was so confident to the point where, why am I not progressing quick enough? And why have I not been offered a pay ride? And I knew that there was a lack of skill there, but we were coaching them to do 
guiding him through that journey were to get him to where he wanted to be. But the confidence was what really blew me away. He always had the courage to, as soon as the director hit the floor, the first to talk to them, the first to tell them what he's doing. And I was really impressed by that. I was more of it. They thought, I actually have other managers that are much more skilled, but I think they're going to go quite far because of your self-belief. It was remarkable. And to this day, he's doing very, very well. Don't get me wrong, some of the women that were doing very well through skill, but that confidence with why he was wearing it. Yeah, he, he's a remarkable character. I actually think there's a part, I speak to women and they talk about imposter syndrome. And sometimes I feel, should I be in the room? Am I qualified? Do I deserve this position? The answer is yeah, but that middling person on your shoulder that talks to you like that, it might not ever go away. You have to have a way of burying that voice <laughs> and thinking, okay, I've got this. You know, for me, it's faith, actually. I'm very confident in what I've done because of my faith. Right, to other people may need to do something else to get that voice to stop talking. Yeah, the imposter syndrome, I think sometimes women, maybe black women even more, have it. You have to um, find a way to overcome it, your own personal way. Was there any times you were, when you made the decision to step out of your corporate careers into the world of becoming an entrepreneur and creating LCL. Were there times where even before you actually did it, you were scared or you were second guessing if this was the right choice and decision? Oh my gosh. <laughs> so scared. And I think that there is a level of, of course there's a level of bravery, but then there's some common sense points. Have a bit of money aside for a few months while you get ready. And why you get your, until you get your first contract. But for me, it was, I know what I've done in my career. I know what I've done for managers and that I've worked with. I've got references and, you know, reviews. So I think, okay, I can do this for individuals. I can do this for businesses. You've got to have that mindset of, yes, I can. <laughs> and be relentless. It's very different to come out in corporate structure where you see, Okay, by nine, I've got to be doing this. By 10, I've got to be doing this. When you work for yourself, you're set to be all up yourself. And you end up working much more. Yeah. <laughs> Weekends don't exist. <laughs> so I've loved every minute of it. And it's been a, a discovery phase every single day. And I was thinking, it's the fear as well of knowing, is it ever the right time? Because we've kind of been discussing, oh, should we go? Should we quit the day job? Should we do it? And kind of, move between the two options for a number of years until we finally took the step. And you never know if it's the right time, but you just make it the right time. The right time is, is the time that you decide to do it. As long as you've got the commitment and the courage again to pursue your dreams, you can do it. But um, that fear of knowing, mm -hmm. have you made the right decision? Is this the right path to go down? Those kind of, they evaporate once you start making very intentional steps towards your goals and dreams. And you've got to have the goals, you've got to have the dreams to be able to do it and the credibility to be able to follow through on, on what you've committed to, so especially for the clients. And then you get that first project and you're on cloud nine and then you get the second and you're like, ah, 
<laughs> and then you're really lonely. You're like, well, now we're gangsters. No, <laughs> we got this. We got this. I think it's well because you take you take yourself out of. You were doing the same job in an office that's shaped like this. All that's happened is that you've removed that structure of an office. You're doing the exact same work. So I don't. It's a mindset shift, which is very you know, in relation to what we're doing here. It's a mindset shift. You're doing the same thing, consulting, coaching, counseling sometimes, people in a different context. But all you've done is remove that structure of an organization with a huge name most of the time. I think that sometimes it's that name that gives people the confidence and the boldness behind them because like I'm representing this big brand and therefore people are going to listen to me. When it's your own thing, you kind of retreat. Everybody's like, oh, this is new. No one knows about it. And the way that you show up then has to be like, no, I still have the same energy. I'm still the same person. I still have the same qualities and experience. It's just doing my own thing now. So in fact, I need to be a bit more than I was previously because I'm, I'm no longer falling back on, on the big name anymore. I'm actually honing in on the experience I have to utilize and create opportunities for me. But I think that's why your network, when we talk about entrepreneurial mindset, that's why your network's really important because the people that you have, you build relationships with whilst you're in those roles, they're often the ones that become your top clients, your first clients when you do move over into an entrepreneurial space because they know what you do. They're like, you know, I've got a friend who needs some work doing, you know, I've got a contact or can you help us? And that that's happened for us quite a bit since we've left. Yeah. In fact, most of the interest that we have had is through people who have experienced our work in, in the past. So, and actually a previous retail director that I worked for who nominated me for an award for leadership, she has now gone to take over the Dubai Mall as the CEO. And I know that that's going to open doors of opportunity for us. So it is about keeping those people that have, who know you, who, who worked with you closely, who know your skill set, as even though clouds for future potential work. When you think about goals, what would be what the major goals that you have, you both have for LVL? Louise, you got to take that. <laughs> <laughs> you know why she's saying that? <laughs> because I wrote the vision and sent it and was like, okay, are we on board with this vision? Or we all sat around the table and were like, wow, this is ambitious. <laughs> but we know what we've done. We know what we can achieve. And we have belief and faith that we can do quite well. So, yes, our goal is to become known as people that are able to come into businesses and support seniors and managers to become better leaders. It sounds so basic, but in this day and age, when you can see people leaving jobs left, right, and center, often leaving because of a manager, not because of a business. We know that if you want to survive, you need to make sure your leaders are the best that they can be. They need to care about their people. And that's what we are passionate about. That's what we care about. If you are able to demonstrate that you genuinely care about your staff, you care about their progression and their future, they will give you 110%. In fact, I remember a staff member, it was a manager that worked for me. And she said, Louise, I know that I don't always have to give 100% because you don't micromanage us. I know that you're not always there. 
why don't I give 100%? In those moments, I give 110% because I genuinely feel value. And I thought, wow, that's all that matters. If somebody's given 100%, 110%, she said, when nobody's watching, that's going to be a successful business, isn't it? Because you care. And it's really important. And that's our vision, to make sure that we support people coming through to great leaders. And also another great passion of ours is supporting underrepresented minorities. You know, black women coming through. You know, there's many others, but we really want to support those people to know that they can do it too. What does it take to show someone that you care as a leader? I think listening, I know you've all heard the term open door fallacy, but the fact that somebody can just come to your office and say, I need a two minutes of your time, and you'll always say, take a seat, let's talk. I think those small things are not always simple. One of the things I always ask is, what's your number? If somebody I can see is maybe a bit roughly, not as motivated as usual, I ask the question, what's your number? Meaning one, being they're demotivating their knuckles for the job, <laughs> or 10 being the thrill of the job and they're happy. If they say to me, I'm a six, I'm like, okay, today, what can we do to get you to a seven or an eight? And they'll say something as simple as the printer in my office isn't color, it's black and white. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I'm like, fine. If, if it takes something that small to get you to an eight today, by Monday, it's done. So sometimes you think it's going to be a big deal, like I need you to change my world. It's not. Sometimes it's small things that are going to change their world at work in a big way. But it's being able to identify when they need that conversation and do something about it. I think that's what people need. I also think there's some huge things. We talk a lot about empathy and you know, empathic leadership or authentic leadership. Because I think people still think that there's this cookie cutter version of a leader that you need to be in order to support someone and to show that you care. And as we go round in circles and see different leadership styles come through, I think we're definitely coming back to this less about power and control and that kind of stereotypically strong type of leader. But those who are more empathic, those who do genuinely care who show up themselves first as an authentic mm-hmm. leader, which means they can tap into somebody else's authentic self. When you've got two people who are tapping into their authentic self, that's when the magic happens. So I really think empathy is a, a big thing. And also just that a, a bit, ability to follow through on commitments, that goes a long way for people, for leaders who make commitments, whether it's broad strategic commitments or smaller everyday commitments that a leader makes to a direct report. Those follow-throughs are more important now than ever, where people are looking for stability, they're looking for direction, they're looking for consistency. They need that more than ever from their leaders. And I think that's a a really good way to show that you care. So I love how practical the examples that you're all giving are, because a lot of times, like you say, people think it's big, massive things you need to do. And sometimes it's just small little things that make such a massive difference to other people. And we skip the small and we go to the big extravagant. And it's like, well, that's going to work for a little while, but the small is going to last for a very long term. Right. So I love the practicality you know. with that. And what would you say are your personal strengths as a leader? 
I think for me, Laurie touched on it then, but it is, I'm sorry to repeat, but it is about that empathy and in time and understanding for your team. I think being very passionate about what you're doing as well. You know, because it's all about the people for me, it doesn't matter if I'm selling kettles. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> because it's about motivating and inspiring the team. I always said that the most important meeting I have on a day is that morning break. It's not with my retail director. It's not with the boss. It's with my team. That 15-minute break where I can make or break the day. Okay, we've got to do this today. Have a good day. Or I can be like, you guys yesterday, you absolutely smashed it. You are the future. You're doing such a good job. And you've set them off for another day of success. You can see when somebody's had a bad break and somebody's had a, a good one because of the results that they bring. So, yeah, I think for me, it's about that empathy yeah, towards the team. So being with them, leading from the front, being passionate. And that's why I've been successful. I'd say there's some similarities there as well for the passion, for sure. Definitely something I see as a personal strength, but also, again, empathy and caring about the whole person. I'm less of an alpha leader, so not driven by power or control. I'm, I'm okay to take a sidestep for other people to lead, even when I am in the most senior position in that room. I have zero ego for other people being able to step up and share ideas. In fact, it's in those moments I think I've been quite successful in identifying future talent or people who could have other positions or, the, you know, the future me. I think being able to create a legacy where you've got somebody ready to take on your role because you're going for the next role is a huge strength as a leader and something that's lacking a little bit because people get quite insecure. If you're strong, then it means I'm weak. No, it doesn't. It means the organization is, is getting better. The organization is getting stronger. And we're all working together, fitting in with our, with, with our skills and our competence. And actually, during times of, we were talking before, before the call about recession, where organizations are downsizing, work you know, roles are pro- probably going to become less readily available. How do you identify talents in, in the roles that people are in? And I think that's been a, a powerful thing that I've been able to do in former capacities and also with LVL in identifying people's strengths creating opportunities for them where they are and then hoping that would lead to something else, whether it's inside the organisation or out, but making them feel like they're the best they could be wherever they're at. Laurie touched on the succession planning. And I always believe that if you are not having to hire from outside because you're putting the training, the effort into the people under you to be the future you, this is the most successful you can build. Caring about who's coming up under you and making sure that you're putting enough time in them to become future leaders within your company. First of all, it's saving your company a heck of a lot of money. <laughs> and two, they are, they're growing, you know, and people can see that they're growing and they want to work with you because they know that you'll get the right development under that leader to become the future in that company. What's the hardest decision you've had to make as a leader? While you're thinking, let me add something to you there. And I know for me, it was back in the day when I worked in corporate and had to let go a number of people. These are people I had, had known and I worked with and just kind of got to that point where it was 2008. Like people were getting let go left, right and center. An organization had to downsize. And it really, really hurt. And it hurt, but it wasn't about me because I still had a job. I still had a position. And I had to learn that 
no matter how you feel, this is not about you. This is about the people that you are that in your charge that you're about to let go. So how can you park myself pity and shame and wherever it was I was feeling and really, really focus on other people to ensure that they land in the best possible space and place for them. And that was a really, really key lesson on my journey, which I didn't think I would need to learn, especially at such a young age, but I had to. Some curious if there been things along your journey that as a leader, you've had to be, might have known about and you've stumbled across or you've had to learn in the moment to adjust. Yeah, I think I've got a similar story where we, in a former organization, I was very close with the team and we built a very, very tight network. And because of the strengths as a leader, you care about the people, you care about not just their work life, but their personal life, because their personal life impacts their work life. So you've built up this connection with them and sometimes even their family members. But one member of a, a former team who, you know, I knew his wife. Outside of work, we, we would have a connection. And then it came to an organizational decision to have to let um, some of the team go. And the person that was directly impacted was somebody in my team. And I think that was probably one of the most challenging situations because you're having to deliver a message of a decision that you ne- haven't always necessarily made, but you have to be the mouthpiece to convey that message. And regardless of what you say, how you spin it, it is what it is. That person has to leave the business and you are the face of that message. And regardless of whether they understand that it's not your fault directly, there's still a lot of you know, anger there, resentment there. So it changed the dynamic of that relationship that had become professional and personal, which I think was probably one of the most challenging times to deal with. And you overcome it by, again, you know, telling yourself the right stories around it. It's not necessarily your fault. I'm still doing what I can in a professional capacity to be able to support that person as much as possible. But at the end of the day, you can't be responsible for how somebody else interprets a business decision that's been made. So I'd say that was probably one of the most challenging times. And I still wonder if I've got over that situation. It is what it is. Amazing. It's similar. It was a business decision. I have been complaining about the profitability of my department due to the fact that commission was an issue. So I don't know how to explain it, but people were making a lot of money but not selling the product that they're employed now. When I'm in front of the finance director, I would be saying, this is the issue. So they decided to change the commission, which impacted people's profits. I knew that that decision had been made because I had complained about it. And then when I am the one, to Laurie's point, giving that message to 800 staff, <laughs> no, actually it was 200 staff, and we were the only bought team only, and saying, your commission's going to change quite dramatically, which is going to impact their pockets. They were not happy. You know, people left as a result. So it was a really difficult decision, you know. It was just difficult. I, should, I could have closed my mouth and not said anything to the financial director, but I'm under fire every month. Well, I knew that that's why I wasn't being profitable. And when they changed it, it impacted people's livelihoods. Yeah, it was challenging time. I pondered over Louise's words around the impact they could have on a wider number of people from the decisions they were making. So I explained them from 
how I see things. I think a lot of times people look at the titles, look at the positions, look at the accolades that leaders have, and they're like, I want that because it looks so shiny and so attractive on the outside. But the inside, man, there are a lot of challenges that you have to deal with. There's a lot of pressures that come with all those shiny things that people see. For me, there have been few people throughout the career that even when you have self-doubt, they believe in you and encourage you. So my first big boss was Hannah Mercer, her name. And she was director of House of Rising at the time. And she now is worldwide. She's an editor. Yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> How did you do that? Tried a couple of messages. Yeah, she's amazing. <laughs> so she's so encouraging and motivating and believed in me, even when, like I said, I didn't believe in myself. And we're still in contact now. She really supports LVL London a, a lot. And then the second person is Laura Brown who was somebody who supported my progression and also even nominated me, as I mentioned earlier, for an award for leadership. And these people have been crucial. Outside of who I know directly, uh, a lady called Lisa Nichols. I'm not sure if you've heard of her, but her story is remarkable. Amazing. She was in an area. She's incredible, isn't she? (laughs) Wow. I heard her story and I thought, this is a woman of influence. Wow. She was having a baby boy and she was saying, the boys in this area where I'm growing up or where I'm living, 60% of them end up in prison. What am I going to do differently to make sure that this boy that I'm having does not end up that way? And she was just relentless. I'm going to let you <laughs> go and read the story, but she is, yeah, a, a great leader to me. And now I'm multi-millionaire with a very successful business. And then another one is just the last one is for me. It's Joyce Meyer, who is a, a Christian leader. And she just talks that when I'm at the gym, I just listen to her kind of talks. And sometimes, you know, when starting a business, there's many points of doubt you have. One of mine was, you're 42 and you're about to start your own business. You're not going to see the fruits of it for a while. Are you too old to be doing this really? And that was been in my head for a while. But whenever I see Jory Slayer talking to stadiums, hundreds of thousands of people at 80 something, I think, okay, it's okay. <laughs> you know, she's done well. You got this. Yeah, she's done well and she's still doing well. And she started very late. So she's another one of my inspirations. I would say for me, one of my inspirations is a former boss of mine, former manager that I reported into, because I think sometimes when you're good at what you do, but you're not always the best at personal PR, because sometimes people are good at the PR piece, which means that they get pinpointed for promotions and opportunities, but that's actually not that great. They're just good at PRing themselves. And I was never really that great at the PR, at the PRing side, even though I'd studied marketing and I knew a lot about PRing other things, but not necessarily myself. So having a leader who can identify your talent and say, look, I'm going to give you an opportunity here because I know that you're very good at what you do. 
but I want to put you a bit more in the spotlight. Would you like to join you know, my executive team? I, I found that really inspirational. And in that role, in the capacity, he would play different roles of coach, mentor, coach, mentor, coach, mentor. Um, and in the conversations that we would have weekly or monthly, I would find that I was growing a lot more than I'd ever grown in an organization or ever grown in a role just because of the investment that he'd put in me. So him, he was very much an inspiration to me. And then it's going to sound so cliche, but my sisters are both an inspiration to me for very different reasons. Victoria is very strong-minded, level-headed, committed, and loyal. And sometimes those characteristics, which sometimes can be perceived in the negative, are actually very positive, wonderful attributes of a leader. And I get inspiration from her daily in that. And Louise is very strategic, also very strong-minded, but influential as well and a good networker. So I, I find that there's things I get from both sisters professionally, but then also personally. When you think about three sisters working together, how does it actually work? Because there's this old adage, don't work with family. <laughs> Close friends to kids, it can always end up in tears or something go wrong. So how does it actually, the dynamics work with LVL? It's so great to work with people who know you so well, but because they know you so well, sometimes those strengths can almost work against you. <laughs> so we've got really different personalities, as we've mentioned before, different things. Our brothers call us like earth, wind and fire. <laughs> <laughs> Literally during like challenging times or, or, or we celebrate our differences and that's one a wonderful thing and the different contributions that we make. But then in challenging times, we have to remember why we celebrate those differences. And I think just managing that dynamic of being sisters, running a business or being equally ambitious, but approaching things from very, very different ways is such a strength to the business, but it needs managing. And that's just the real talk. It does need managing. And... It's important to divvy up throughout the business who does what, because if you start to overlap or try to do too many hands on one foot, it can spoil the bra, right? <laughs> so I think it's really important for us to understand, okay, this is my skill set. Warren had done learning and development for a company at the highest level for many years. And she will create the programs, do the whole the training. This is what? impacts people the most and this is how you deliver it and because I'm quite jazz and and been presenting to a lot of people for many years okay I go and do the presenting and then behind that Victoria as Laurie said she's very direct very to the point and she will bring our level of okay this is what you need to be doing by when she keeps us on track etc humility and PR how are you with PR now and self-promotion now, especially as you are entrepreneurs? And that's something that's major for all of you to be able to do it in your way. So on the humility part, um, something that Laurie and I have had challenges with is really putting your own horn, you know, shouting about how great you are. And when you have your own business, you have to be doing that. You have to be doing that consistently. That can be challenging because you need to be saying online how great you are. You need to be telling your clients how fantastic you are. And, and normally we like our results to speak for themselves. And that's how we've been successful. Just look at my results, look at my league table, look at my KPI, 
Look at my sales lesson last year. You don't need to say anything. But when you're at the beginning of your own business, you do need to be saying something. In fact, you need to be telling everybody all the time how great you are just to get, you know, some attention. But that has been difficult. <laughs> and we've had advice from really incredible women who are very successful in, the, in this field. I'm saying you need to be getting out there. You need to show what you're doing. And so, yeah, if you're not, you don't have a huge ego and you're not screaming about what you're doing, you'll miss the boat. I think you do need to um, celebrate what you're great at and be confident enough to say it. One thing I think about good PR is building really great relationships, which we really pride ourselves on being able to do that. Because a lot of times, even when I was in the corporate world, We'd get people reaching out about opportunities, but they didn't necessarily know how to build personal connections or relationships. You can tell it's very generic messages that you might get from people or sales pitches, but we know how to personalize. We know how to connect with people based on what's interesting to them, not just what's interesting to us. And I think that's really pow- a really powerful kind of PR tactic in being able to promote your business as somebody who looks for the needs of others before their own and works on how we can then solve the needs and challenges and problems based on what we're able to deliver. So listening more than you talk is also very, very important. Even coming on this podcast, we were like, 50 minutes, how are we going to talk for 50 minutes about you know, all these topics and things? We're more like sponges. We like to listen. We like to learn. We like to receive and to be in the seats to talk to people about what we're doing. I was thinking, how is it going to run? But actually time flies, first of all, because we're having fun. But second of all, because we have a message to share, we have a voice that needs to be heard. And I think when people start to see the authenticity behind those voices, then they really, really are attracted to us. So PR, super important, humility, even more important, but being able to listen as much as you share and talk is something that we pride ourselves on. What are your favorite brands, luxury brands, since you've been in this game for a while, you've been in this before. (laughs) Give me a top two. (laughs) Laurie, do not say a word. There are two winning brands out there that are going to (laughs) work. What if personally a brand? I'm I'm talking talking personally, not to work with. I'm talking about outside of work, Uh, clothes, what you wear. What are your favorite luxury brands? Okay, for me, that's easy, easy, easy. I am known for never wearing colour, always minimalist, mood, blacks, grey, that kind of tone. Um, I'm not very loud. You never see me in the red and things like that, hardly. For work, I'm much more toned down. But I don't know if you remember the Olsen twins, but they have a brand called The Row, and it's just beautiful, the most elegant pieces. I think my two are would be Victoria Beckham. I love the designs of her dresses. Wow. Yeah, I love sophistication, classic. I think I like what she stands for in terms of how to dress a woman. And then so I'd do Victoria Beckham and a bit of Bauman. I'm actually sat in a Bauman blazer right now because it's like a power jacket. Like when you want to feel cool, you want to feel powerful. This is the yeah, this is the brand. This is the go-to. So you're, and you like colour, Laurie? Actually, no, I hardly ever wear it. <laughs> it's either like black, black, navy or nude. 
are the three go-tos. When I wear colour, people are like, what's going on? I'm like, I'm trying to embrace a bit more colour, but the summer's coming and the weather's nice. So going to try a little bit of something different over the summer, but go-to wow. black, navy, nude. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to lie. You know I'm, I'm surprised for both of you. Why? Because we're Jamaican. We but can I tell you why? That's exactly it, actually. You know what? We don't want to be stereotyped. And I know that this goes so much deeper than not wearing bright colour, but you don't want to be people to assume you are a certain way. So maybe yellow I look okay in because of my skin tone. However, I want to be taken seriously. And I know that those things have been a challenge for us in the past. You know, you're a black female and young at the time. And now maybe... You want to make sure that you are looking professional. And I think that's why I migrate to those colors so much. But yeah, at Carnival, you might see something different. Yeah. And I think there's lots of people who can still bring their most authentic self in those bright colors. What I think we've learned to do in the luxury sphere is embrace a, a quite a, some, sometimes a, a stereotypical dress code, which actually suits us and suits our personalities. There are some people in luxury that, you know, would choose to do other colours. So, yes, you can still be your authentic self in other colours. It's just something, it's just a preference that we had. I think what I said I, w- I was surprised is I had a conversation with someone from Healthy MH and we were talking about what is professional previously and what is professional now. And they were talking about with, especially with women of the last four or five years, they seem to be moving away f- to more brighter colors and all that kind of stuff because of traditionally it was very much clean, plain. So I was curious as to if that's something that you've also embodied, if that's something that you've seen as well, because it became more around, actually, no, I'm here. You're going to see me. I'm going to make a statement with the piece I'm wearing, hence why the bright clothes came out. So that's why I was curious around how you were seeing things as well. I think since the pandemic, things have just changed overall, haven't they? How people dress, how people show up for work, for professional and for play as well. I remember having a coffee recently with the CEO of a top, top jewellery brand and he turned up on a, a scooter in jeans and a, a polar neck. Now, I'd worked with him in a former capacity and never not seen him in a suit. But I think something about the pandemic just made people embrace a different way of like tr- traveling to work, first of all, because you met me on a scooter and how you dress for a business meeting. So it's something that maybe we need to look into. I'm going to have a little fun here um, because you, you mentioned this. If a guy was to roll up on a scooter like that, generally speaking, with the background, what's the deal? Do you look at him up and down and just walk away from him? Do you acknowledge him? Like, what happens normally? In what context are we talking? <laughs> Outside of work, a non-professional, <laughs> a, a non-professional context. <laughs> Would you say this? Definitely not. You never ever judge. My gosh, it, even with things like music, you know, I remember. Being um, much younger, I was at the factory at the time, working at the factory. And a guy who had, like, you remember curtains? They used to call them curtains, long hair to here. It was jet black, he had very pale white skin, you know, the baggy trousers and the chains. So every time he was nearby, I was like, so yeah, Lincoln Park and da 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 da. 
And I was doing that for months, I think, trying to get his attention. <laughs> anyway, finally got talking to him and he was saying, no, I'm into hip hop. And I was like, oh, I'm actually into hip hop. I take all this time trying to get his attention. You can never judge a buck by their cover. And if you change yourself to match what you think somebody is, you're going to fail. <laughs> so be yourself. Definitely. And then when you see people, people come in all different packages. That's why we love people so much because we want to hear people's stories. So yeah, rolling up in a scooter, no problem. Tell me about it. I've never been on a scooter. Can you yeah, take me on your ride? Okay. Okay. This is a, this is a different response. But... <laughs> Uh, I thought I thought I had to ask because I'm like you are two like I said very classy well put together women and this is a debate that happens a lot of times around how should both men and women actually and I've asked it on the side as well how should men and women dress when you're you're going to meet someone talk to someone and should you change to suit the person you're about to meet or should you be yourself so I guess you've both spoken to that well okay See, guys, there's hope. There's hope. There's hope. <laughs> because the truth is going to come out. <laughs> like that. Live your quotes. That's the name of the newsletter that you need to subscribe to. Go on www.everydayleadership.co.uk. Subscribe to Live Your Quotes. It's a bi-weekly newsletter that comes out with a quote with some information on how I'm looking at that quote, how that relates to my life to make it more real and authentic and come alive for you. As well as bits and pieces, it might be books I'm reading, it might be some other content I'm tapping into and some bits and pieces around the podcast. It's a nice, short, succinct newsletter, which I know you're gonna enjoy. But to enjoy it, you need to subscribe to it. So again, if you go to the podcast website, www.everydayleadershippodcast.co.uk, you'll be able to get access to Leave Your Quote newsletter. Now let's get back into the episode. And you mentioned your, your faith previously, Louise, as well, how important that is to you. Why is that? And how does that play a part in, the, in your business and the work that you do? Well, you know, the day-to-day issues that people face. So, for example, worrying, overthinking, stressing, scared, fear, all of those things. I noticed when I really dedicated myself to God, praying daily, you know, having faith in He has a plan. He has a plan for me. That's written. It's in the Word. Don't make me preach now. But (laughs) it's written. He has a plan for me. So why would I be worried? You know, there are times when you think, gosh, you don't get a regular salary having your own business. End of the month comes, the bills haven't stopped just because you have your own business, but you have to have faith. And having enough faith and focus in God and what he's doing for me, for my business, that's enabled me to trust in him. So yeah, it's been massively important to me. And I, I would go as far to say I wouldn't have been able to do this without my faith because it, it's, important. it's important to me. I also yeah. think that people probably, it depends on where they're at in their faith walk, if they have a faith or whether they don't, but people have different 
perceptions of what it means to have a faith or to believe in God or read the Bible. And they might think it's a bit old school, but a lot of what we do is very much done by biblical principles. So in Proverbs or, you know, there's a scripture that says, write the vision and make it plain. We had to be so prescriptive in the vision that we had for LVL. And that was because we read it in the Bible that unless you've got a vision, people you know, people perish or people fall by the wayside. So there's a lot of what we do in the business world that's so synonymous with some biblical principles that just helps us day to day. So it's a faith walk, but it's a practical faith walk as well. And that's why faith is so important to us. That is one of my favourite verses, by the way. <laughs> we arrived at the part of the show, one of my favourite parts of the show, where I like to find out from our guests how to they define leadership. I will go to you, Laurie, first. Good question. How do I define leadership? So I define leadership as creating a path that others want to follow. So creating a path that others want to follow and role modeling that path. Doesn't mean you have to be perfect. It means you can be vulnerable and authentic in your leadership style. But as long as you're creating a path every day, making small changes along the way based on regular feedback, regular input, continuous dialogue. That to me is leadership. Totally agree. So very similar. I think you are leading a team of people. You have to believe you can achieve the goal. They have to believe that they can achieve the goal because you've inspired them to believe that then you have to just set the small goals all the way along to get to that end result. And I think when everybody's on the same page and you're aiming for the same overall objective to be achieved, you can, you can achieve just about anything. And I've got so many examples for you, but I'm not going to go through them now. When you t- take a team of either 10 or 100 and say, okay, we can do it. You can do it. We're going to achieve this together. You see what you can achieve. It's remarkable. Um, just having people believe and all on the same page. You know, if you walk into a, a store, any store, let's pick Topshop. No, it's over. Let's pick Marks and Spencer on a Saturday. You say, what is the goal today to achieve to any staff member? If that staff member doesn't know you've got a problem. But if everybody knows their part to play in the overall objective, you're going to win. And, that, and that's more what great leadership is. This has been a pleasure. This has been a lot of fun. And I appreciate both of you just sharing your experience, your wisdom. And Victoria, hello. Um, <laughs> I'll give a quick shout out there as well. Apart from your website, which is going to be in the show notes. What is the best space or place that people can find out more about you, contact you, work with you and get involved with the amazing things that you are doing and are going to be doing in the future as you move towards making that goal a reality? Well, most of our inquiries come through the website at the moment. If you want to just see our lifestyle, that's LVL London on Instagram. That's just like, how we are together, they live, where we they, go. They live, they live in good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's very new at the moment. So, you know, that, that's just started. 
our inquiry through mentorship, all our inquiries have come through the website in terms of our contracts with our businesses. They have come through connections and the website. So yes, either one of those. Anything else, Laurie? No, yeah, just info at lvllondon.com if you want to contact us and the website lvllondon.com. Pretty easy, straightforward. That was an amazing show. I had so much fun just listening to the responses and answers coming through from that. And you might be like me, you know, you're thinking what comes next? Who who, will we dial into next? Well, here's a quick preview of who we've got coming up in next week's episode. Make sure you're following the show so you don't miss out on this amazing guest. Guys, don't have reference points, don't have framework, don't, don't, don't have other men that are just willing to be real and, and, and honest and transparent enough to share with them their failures and their worlds and, and give them a path to see that, look, you can still change that I thought, you know what, it's lacking. One thing I do during the week is I go for a run. And most days after each run, I upload a video on LinkedIn, normally about two or three minutes. So if you want to get a little bit-sized information as to what's going on in my head after that run, check me out on LinkedIn. Just type in my name, S-O-P-E-A-G-B-E-L-U-S-I, and you'll find me. And you can tap into some more content outside of everyday leadership.